Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Exodus chapter 19. You could probably give this entire chapter the heading, Preparing to Meet with God. The Israelites have arrived at Mount Sinai after about three months of travel, and they will stay now at Mount Sinai for the better part of a year. And we can miss that sort of detail as we read through the Bible. So let's be careful to notice here that the setting will not change now for the next 70 pages in my Bible. Anyway, everything that happens in your Bible from Exodus 19.2 through Numbers 10.11 happens right here as the people encamp at Mount Sinai. This is one of those densely significant seasons in the biblical timeline. The Bible can skip hundreds of years between verses because nothing much was going on. Or alternatively, it can slow down and tell the story of 10 months of time over the course of 58 chapters. And that's what we're seeing here. This is an incredibly important moment. And in chapter 19, we observe some of the build-up to this incredibly important moment. You don't just waltz into the presence of the three times holy God. There is some preparation to be done. There's some consecration to be undertaken. There's some communication to be received and acted upon. And that is what is going on in this chapter. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. On the third new month, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Verses 3 to 6 narrate the first of Moses' seven ascents up Mount Sinai. In this first one, he is told to remind the people of Israel of all that God has done in order to redeem them. He is to preach the gospel to them, we might say. Then, on the basis of what God has already done, he is to invite them to respond to God's gracious work on their behalf by obeying his voice and keeping his covenant. That's the now, therefore, if clause that you see at the beginning of verse 5. It would be hard to think of another three-word clause that surpasses this one in terms of its theological importance. Now, therefore, if. The now, of course, is the moment of decision and commitment. The therefore 
is the basis upon which this decision and commitment ought to be made, the finished work of God in purchasing and effecting their redemption. And then the if spells out the appropriate response to all that God has done on their behalf. J. Alec Manchir is very helpful here, particularly with respect to that potentially troubling word, if. He says, the significant if with which verse 5 opens relates not to covenant status, but to covenant enjoyment. Status comes by the acts of God. Enjoyment by the responsive commitment of obedience. Obedience is not our part in a two-sided bargain, but our grateful response to what the Lord has unilaterally decided and done, closed quote. That is the shape and essence of biblical faith, Old Testament and New. We are who we are because of what God has graciously done. And now that we are who he has made us to be, we want to begin responding in ways that please and glorify the Lord. We obey, we worship, we serve, not to add to God's redemptive work. These people are already free, but to respond to it. That's the rhythm. That's the shape. And if you mess with this shape, you completely destroy the concept and beauty of biblical faith. If you put the obedience first, if you were to say, obey and you will be my people, that's legalism. But if you say, you are my people, live however you like, that's blasphemy and ingratitude. That's antinomianism and unfaith. Biblical faith begins with who God is and how God acts with respect to our redemption. And then it begins to talk about response, obedience, worship, gratitude, and service. So those are the basic terms that God tells Moses to relate to the people. The God who saves us now invites us into a covenant based upon careful obedience, reverent worship, universal service, and unimaginable joy. Do you wish to enter into such an arrangement? That is the question that Moses is given to convey. Verse 7. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We're in. We've seen God. We know who he is. We trust what he will say. He is good. Therefore, his word will be for our good. Notice that they agree to obey before they've even heard all the words that God will give. That is faith. Faith is trusting in who God is and therefore being willing to accept and obey whatever God says. Faith always comes before you have all the details. Otherwise, it wouldn't be faith. So the people agree, and Moses carries their agreement back up the mountain to God. This is the second ascent of Moses. We pick up the story in the second half of verse 8. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. 
and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. All right, so Moses goes down the mountain again, this time to tell the people how to prepare for the coming theophany. Theophany means appearance of God. God is going to show up tangibly and transformatively in three days. And so the people need to prepare. First of all, the people need to be informed that not everyone will be going all the way up the mountain. The people will be invited to the foot of the mountain so that they can hear the gist of what is going on, but no further. There can be no casual or accidental contact with the mountain while the presence of God is being manifest. Of course, scholars note here how similar this is to the rules that will come to be in place around the tabernacle and then later the temple. Only the high priest, and that only once a year, can go all the way into the Holy of Holies. And then the priests, they can go in a certain distance, and then the regular people can go in a certain distance. And then, of course, there is the outer court of the Gentiles. Same basic idea here, and same basic message here. There is a gap between God and people that has not yet been fully dealt with. We won't see the way clear until the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. When Jesus dies, the veil in the temple was torn in two. But for now, a safe distance must be maintained between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of people. God also commands that the people wash their clothes. Clothes in the Bible were often symbols for the outer character. Again, the idea here is that one doesn't simply march into the presence of God. One deals with one's dirt. One examines his own character and makes appropriate preparation. This physical act was no doubt intended to stimulate a more personal and moral reflection. The command to abstain from sex serves a similar purpose. It wasn't because sex was bad. It was because you wanted to be focused and you wanted to spend time in sober reflection before you met the Lord. We see the same thing in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 talks about a two to three day abstention from marital intercourse in order to give oneself to focused prayer. That was the purpose of both of these unusual prescriptions. The Hebrew scholar Nahum Sarnas is here. The three days of preparation and self-restraint allow time for sober reflection so that acceptance of the covenant can be considered an undoubted act of free will, closed quote. Now, regardless of how you want to define free will, the point is that as eager as the people indicated that they were, God calls for an extended period of sober reflection before undertaking the privileges and commitments of the covenant. That is something we would do well to take note of. We pick up the story in verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord 
had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, to look, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. These verses recount the third ascent and descent of Moses. In verse 20, God comes down and calls Moses up. He then tells Moses to go down and further warn and restrain the people against accidental or intentional approach. Moses, at first, doesn't seem to think that such a warning is necessary. He, he tells God that I've already put such restrictions in place. But in verse 24, God says to Moses, go down and repeat the instructions and then come back up, bringing Aaron with you. Do not let the priests and the people break through to come up. So Moses went down again to reiterate those instructions. Now, what are we to make of this? Obviously, God is concerned to emphasize and double emphasize here the barrier that exists between the people and himself. And he expresses an awareness here that this barrier will seem less significant than it is to the people in general and to the priests in particular. Now, of course, we want to stop here and ask, who are these priests? The priesthood, as we know it, isn't instituted until after the incident with the golden calf. You'll remember that the Levites stand with Moses against the people in their idolatry, and as a result, they are given the unique privileges of the priesthood. But prior to that, it appears that the firstborn sons of every family functioned as the priesthood. Numbers 3 states that explicitly. God says to Moses, this is Numbers 3, 12 to 13, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine, for all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated for my own all the firstborn in Israel, both of man and of beasts, they shall be mine. I am the Lord. Closed quote. So the firstborn sons belong to God as designated servants in light of the Exodus. However, because it appears the firstborn sons were not adequately committed or singular in their devotion, and because the Levites took a courageous and faithful stand with Moses against idolatry, that general privilege for now will be restricted to the Levites. The people weren't ready for a general priesthood at this point in the story, which, of course, is why it is such a big deal when the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 2.9 to a mixed congregation of Jews and Gentiles trusting in Christ, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter is saying that what was begun in Exodus 19 that was later deferred after the incident of the golden calf is now fully and gloriously realized in the church because of the greater graces and gifts of the New Testament. But we're getting way ahead of ourselves. For now, we just want to see that this initial priesthood, the firstborn sons, required a special reminder that they were not to presume upon the presence of God merely on the basis of birthright. Position without piety and preparation means nothing. That's the point. And Moses is sent back down the mountain to make that point. So, Moses went down to the people and told them. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting a mission project that is very close to my heart. The Letha Daycare Outreach Project is a church-based educational program designed to teach literacy, support low-income families, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with boys and girls in rural South Africa. I've seen this project with my own eyes. I have shaken the hands of parents whose families have been helped. I have heard the songs and Bible verses out of the mouths of some of these dear children as they have been taught and helped to put their trust in the Lord. And nothing would be more gratifying to me than for you to show your appreciation for Into the Word by investing in these little ones. You can do that in one of two ways. You can give through the Into the Word app or by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. Just click on the Give tab and you'll find giving options for both Canadian and American listeners. This is a registered project with ABWE Canada and ABWE USA. So tax receipts are available to all eligible donors. Just identify where you're listening from and click on the Fund button and select Letha Daycare Outreach. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet.